they say no, I was like, he's probably a nose picker anyway. It's true, guys. It's a way you have to just get through the defeats in your life. Just remind Y'all ready for this? So because we're recording, even though it's later today, Olivia. You have your Tims? I did. I stopped and got my Tims today. Okay, let's do this. Welcome to the Books We Loved podcast through the Troy Public Library. Today, we are going to revisit the literary contributions of the one and the only Judy Bloom. Judy Bloom. And we are here today with Karen from our adult services department, a repeat guest. She's an old hand. Hello. And we all, I think, read some Judy Bloom this past week. I think we all read different things like Mm -hmm. we've done in the past. And then some of us may have seen the documentary Judy Bloom Forever, which is streaming somewhere. Prime. On Prime. Mm -hmm. And there's also a movie for Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret out right now, but I have not seen it. Have either of you? I have not, but my friend Rachel said it was very good. I haven't seen it yet, but I have plans to see it with my girlfriends later this month. <gasps> Lucky duck. So How do we oh want to structure gosh. this? I have no plan. I just waltzed in here today, set up this equipment, and we just kind of blazed right in. So do we, maybe we can start with, let's start how we always start. And Karen, why did you pick Judy Bloom? Why did you want to revisit her? Um, because I wanted to reread Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret, before I see the movie, because I'm a good librarian who mm-hmm. tries to read the book before she goes to see a movie. Preach. Yes. And I had read um, my sister's copies of a lot of the Judy Bloom books when I was growing up. So like Blubber, Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. Then again, Maybe I Won't, Tales of a Ford, Fourth Grade Nothing, etc. What did you like about Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret? And how old were you when you read it? I was pretty young when I read it. Um, mm-hmm. I, like, truly, I, I don't remember. I think maybe fourth grade, maybe mm-hmm. third. I'm not mm-hmm. I'm not sure because, Same. you know, they, there were just books everywhere all over the house and I was I couldn't get enough of them. So I was reading mm-hmm. all over the place. But um, I think what I liked about it, at least rereading it, the things that I enjoyed about it is it's just so relatable. I mean, I went to private school. I've mentioned this on the last podcast, and it was like, oh, talking about periods was so taboo. So it would make sense that you would have to have a little club to do it. Mm-hmm. And watching the period video <laughs> in fifth grade with uh. where they had sanitary belts and all of us kind of looking at the teacher and her saying, oh, yeah, people don't use those anymore. But that's how old the video yes. was that they showed us. Same. <laughs> I was in Catholic school in fifth and sixth grade too. Yeah, right. We probably watched the same video, Karen. (laughs) Yes, we probably did. So it was funny. It's just, it it was so relatable to me, I think, back then when I read it. And then rereading it now, it was relatable, but my heart was broken for Margaret. I was like, Mm. oh, poor sweet baby. It's just now occurring to me how weird it is that they split us up in fifth grade to, Mm -hmm. I, I sort of get... It's so weird. I wonder if they still do that because it's like, heaven forbid men know about women's bodies. Understand how it works. Yeah. And it would have been kind of nice to know how the other half lived. (laughs) Well, it was pretty funny because at our school, the boys got split up into a classroom and a priest talked to them. Oh, gosh. (laughs) 
<laughs> you want to talk I, about relatable. I, yeah. I, <laughs> I think that's what happened for us too. But we had a younger priest that everybody thought was super cool. He was from Ireland and he was just super funny. So mm-hmm. I was kind of jealous. I was like, of course the guys get like, yeah, Father we had a younger Andrew priest or something. too, but he's not a priest anymore. Ours isn't either. Uh, oh, well, yeah. maybe that's what happened. I know. Well, Margaret's Jewish. Yeah. Yeah, so Margaret is half Jewish, um, well, on her dad's side, and on her mom's side, her mom was raised Christian. Christian, So she's raised with nothing, and they want her to figure out if she wants to be religious as she gets older. Mm -hmm. So part of her crisis during her um, entering puberty is now being at this new school Mm -hmm. where everyone is kind of divided into either Christians or Jewish people, and she doesn't know where she belongs. Yeah, And it becomes an issue for the first time in her life, because when she lived in New York it wasn't really an issue yeah so interesting because I had never read that book when I was young my sort of preteen awakening obsessive book was absolutely normal chaos by Sharon Creech which I won't get into it but that was more aligned with I think what my interests were at the time it was a way nerdier protagonist basically mm-hmm. so I never read Margaret and reading it now I was really surprised at how big of a thing the re- the religious crisis is for her because the book is known so much for being about periods and like mm-hmm. telling the truth about being an adolescent girl and everything that goes with that. But nobody talks about the religious conflict that she has in it. That was not, I mean, I'd never heard that before. Mm-hmm. And it seemed sort of like the chief conflict of the book. It was what... I mean, it's obviously she's writing to God, but she doesn't really know which God she's writing to. And then she has, this is, she has a grandmother, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And she has this really important relationship with her grandmother who's Jewish and clearly wants her to be raised Jewish and how outside of everything she feels because, you know, all the other kids seem to have clear understandings of what their religious, Mm -hmm. you know, background is supposed to be. And it did kind of make me think like, all right, why isn't that something that's talked about more? Is it because it was like too academic a topic for like a teenage girl book? And so that was just kind of like brushed away and not really understood. It seemed kind of groundbreaking and very literary. Mm-hmm. I feel like it's it was, I think we've talked about this here before, that a lot of times, maybe not as much nowadays as, you know, in past generation, past decades, whatever, that... Um, people kind of sweep aside the importance of kids' books and how some of them actually are very, have cover very serious topics, religion, periods, body issues, because it's a kid's book, adults can write that off. I don't have to be worried about that. And it's like, oh, there's so much depth to this book and her books are so good. They're so funny. Mm -hmm. They're so insightful. It really, sometimes you read her books and it's like, you're not 38 years old writing this book you're not 45 you're Judy Bloom you're like 12 and you're writing this book because it sounds she has such a way of nailing it and I know her kids were younger when she was writing these books and I'm sure that helped and everything but yeah it's one of those things I just don't feel like it was taken as seriously at that time as it should have been totally and that phrase little people little problems drives Mm -hmm. me crazy because to me the most the biggest problems I ever had was when I was a kid and everything mm-hmm. is so confusing and you're completely powerless. Mm-hmm. You have no control. And that is a really scary feeling. How did sometimes. you feel, Karen, when you were rereading the book? Was there anything that surprised you? I mean, the the whole like religious storyline, um, from what I remember when I read it when I was a kid, is 
because as I've just said, I was raised Catholic. Mm -hmm. So I didn't fully understand, um, you know, what Judaism was or why it was so important to pick one. But reading it as an adult, I completely related to um, her going to church or going to the synagogue and just waiting to like feel something Mm -hmm. and being confused that she didn't feel anything. Like when I was confirmed in eighth grade, I think I really thought like, oh, I'm going to like feel something. Mm-hmm. And I just did not. Mm. And I mean, I'm somebody who I feel like I have a spiritual relationship with a higher being, but I will say it was about middle school when I started, you know, kind of straying away from what I had been taught and thinking, yeah, this doesn't apply to me or, you know, it just wasn't something I chose to embrace. And I really haven't since. So I related to it deeply on that level, but found it heartbreaking how alone she felt like when she was frustrated because her body wasn't changing and all of her friends' bodies were, or seemingly, and when her parents were frustrated that she was even exploring her faiths and that her grandparents or her grandma on the one side and her grandparents on the other were trying to get her to pick something, just that feeling of feeling so alone and feeling so alienated, I could see why, you know, we talk about books getting banned or being challenged for things like, oh, it it deals explicitly with like women's bodies or sexuality or whatever. But I could see how there might be parents that would object to that and think maybe, oh, it's too heavy for a child. But as somebody who really felt like they were experiencing that at a young age, I read that and I thought, you know, if anybody else in that age group is going through this too, it would make them feel so much less alone. Right. Because ultimately she's not alone. It's just, it's that feeling of you're going through this huge physical and emotional change. Mm -hmm. And then that added layer where, I mean, most adults don't even know how they really feel about what's out there in the afterlife and that. And for her to be dealing with such heavy topics, it's like, mm-hmm. no, it's not little people, little problems. It's that's it's a one of the big questions of life, in my opinion. Totally. Yeah, it seemed like Judy Bloom, one of her chief strengths is that she she does tell kids over and over that like you're normal. You're not alone. Mm-hmm. These feelings you have are developmentally appropriate. They're not shameful. They're something, you know, these great protagonists feel. In the documentary, she goes to the Beinecke Library at Yale, and her, all of her papers are there. And she opens this box, and it's just full of all these kids' letters that she had collected over the years. Mm-hmm. And it made me cry when she was reading through them because yes. so many of the kids asked, am I normal? They asked yes. that over and over and over. And it's such a fear kids have that, like, am I deviant in some way because mm-hmm. I'm having these thoughts? And when we don't let kids read about these very natural sort of inklings that they might have when they're young we tell them that they're deviant that they're not normal that they're weird there's something to be ashamed of when you tell kids they can't read those things totally what's interesting is that ultimately she does have a relationship with god Mm -hmm. she might not have picked a religion by the end of the book but at the end of the book she's she says I knew you would be here for this when she gets her period. It's which just made me laugh. Like mm-hmm. I knew you wouldn't miss this for the world. And I just I, I don't know. Oh. I, yeah. Were you in a rush to grow up when you were like did you want all those hallmarks of womanhood when you were a kid? You know, I, I, I did when I was like fifth and sixth grade and I just always felt like I was in a hurry to grow up. I hate when adults would acknowledge it. 
Ugh, don't ever God. talk about Disgusting. a kid's body to them. It no, is so don't. gross. Like the comments, even like my aunts or cousins would make, and it's just like, Ugh. like I don't, I, I don't want to deal with this every day. I don't want anyone else to acknowledge what's happening. It's just ask, stick with normal questions. How's school going? That's what are you reading? Those are safe questions with children. Yeah, yeah. just laying off any body commentary is yeah. probably like the best. I think that's just a good advice across the board. Yes. Just adults, kids. How's that new Harry Styles song going? Yeah. You know, Hello, pregnancy you. periods. Like, can we just not comment on yeah. each other's bodies? I think that would be awesome. It mm-hmm. would be great. Cause it'd be just really cool. No. And it's just not that interesting. It really isn't. That reminded me. So, okay. So I read Margaret and I read, then again, maybe I won't, <laughs> which was hilarious. And the cover was hilarious, but when I, I felt much more comfortable reading the adolescent boy story, maybe because it was separate from my experience, but also maybe because I feel like adolescent boys and this just, I just feel like they're less imperiled at all times than mm-hmm. adolescent girls are. I don't, you know, know if that's true or, or not, but it feels that way. And so I was like comfortable that he would be fine. And then Margaret, when she is with her friends and they're talking about, um, it did remind me of like my adolescence and my friends and we would grow up and we'd read 17 magazine to try and like figure out how to be the right kind of woman or the right kind of girl. Mm-hmm. And this like desperate desire to be normal, even down to like they had their boy books uh, where they would write down their like top 10 boys or whatever mm-hmm. in the class. And none of them wrote the boys that they actually liked. They always picked the same boy as their number one pick because the other girls were picking it. Yeah. And I feel like that happened all of the time in elementary school. Like there was the it boy and everybody had a crush on him and he was like this unremarkable like kid. What? The it boy when I was in fifth grade and I did have a crush on him. He had like Patrick Swayze hair oh, and wow. he had like freckles and he was like perfectly tanned at the start of the school year. This <laughs> is in fifth grade, you guys. Okay. <laughs> I, I had a big fat crush on him and I passed him a note that was like, Hey, will you be in my boyfriend circle? Yes or no? It's, You're I am, so good, man. I am so mortifying. Well, my thing is like, go after what you want. Yeah, right. I Even know, at I, that age, really I was like, me. trust me, that was not my attitude in high school. I was like, <laughs> fifth grade didn't work. I'm never asking anybody else out oh. again until my senior year. Um, so he obviously circled no, picked this other girl in the class, <laughs> but then I look over one day and I still know this kid's first and last name, but I won't put it on the podcast, but he, I, he's like looking around and I'm like watching him cause I sat two rows behind him and I'm like taking notes and I was like, what is this guy doing? He picked his nose and ate it. And I was like, done. I am done with the crush. I don't have a crush on this kid anymore. Ooh. So I like to think about that when I asked people out later, like in my twenties, when they say no, I was like, he's probably a nose picker anyway. It's true, guys. It's a way you have to just get through the defeats in your life. Just remind yourself that everybody does awful things sometimes. Did you ever have a crush on? Did you have that? Like the oh god, kids. So was there a nose picker as well? No, but but, uh, growing up, my best friend had bunk beds. And we would put the names of our crushes on the underside of the bunk bed. Oh, like, um, like we'd be on the bottom bunk and we'd write underneath the top bunk. And um, 
I had a lot of crushes. <laughs> There's just writing all over. And we would just cross people off and mm-hmm. add them as we went. Yeah, we we had crushes on everyone. Did you see me take a drink just then? I like kept my hand by my nose because I'm like, if she says the wrong thing, I'm literally going to snort this coffee <laughs> oh, no. out my nose. So I was like prepared to like pinch my nose so I could force myself to swallow it. Oh, that. you know, we just defaced her family's furniture instead of having a notebook. Like okay, a that's adorable though. Because you know when her parents took that down when she went to college or something, they were like, oh my gosh. Like, oh. What is better than having a crush it's the best what's oh. better than it nothing is better than it. no because coffee it's, it's all in your sorry <laughs> because it's like in your head so it can be perfection exactly you know because you know yes. when you when <laughs> a lot of times if you actually end up dating the person it's, it's, it's disappointing sometimes yeah well all the scenarios like I was a very imaginative kid and so I would like have this whole like fantasy ideas of like what was going to happen mm-hmm. oh my gosh it can be disappointing and it also really can, can be scary. Like sometimes you don't really, especially when you're like a preteen girl and you're just kind of exploring, mm-hmm. you don't really want the dude that you have a crush on to like reciprocate in any way. I think that's why a lot of girls have crushes on like their teachers because you kind of know nothing's ever going to happen. Yeah. yeah. And, and there's something safe. weirdly fun about it being taboo, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah, mine was my swim coach. Mine was my assistant basketball teacher. coach. No, I'm with you though. Okay, so going back to Margaret. In the documentary, they have a lot of people talking about how they had such a strong response to that book. And they have like famous people like um, Lena Dunham, right? The girl from Girls. And then they have like not so famous people, just regular average Joes. And I was watching that and I was like, "Mm, I didn't have a strong response. And I think it's because I read it too young. Mm -hmm. And I also did not want those things to happen. So I was just like, ugh. I identified with Blubber when I was a kid. Okay, so I haven't read Blubber in years. Can I haven't you... read it since 1988. Okay. Did Would you, you like me to read it, the synopsis Olivia? off of Blubber? I started reading it. So it starts with um, the protagonist is just kind of like a side character. Mm-hmm. And there's a girl who does a presentation on whales because mm-hmm. they all have to do it. And the, and the girls, mm-hmm. um, she's described as like a fat girl. For the, the kids call her that. And so she does this presentation on, on whales and she talks a lot about blubber and how mm-hmm. blubber is used in these like Inuit communities. And um, all of the kids just start calling her that. And it becomes this really bully story about bullying. Mm-hmm. And then... And um, it's fifth grade. Again, going back to fifth grade. Yeah. And what a lot of people comment on it is that it's not like a cautionary tale it's it's not moralizing really it's um the main care you know the girl who is being bullied it's not like she's a perfect character either she mm-hmm. in turn bullies she bullies kids somebody too. else too yeah like that sort of hurt people hurt people thing mm-hmm. um and so there's it's a complicated n- story and there's no real resolution i feel like a lot of stories nowadays, look at that. It's got the old book tape on the back. I'm holding up my copy. It was my sister's from the 80s. Um, I brought in my box set of Judy Bloom books today. But um, a lot of kids' books nowadays, I feel like, I would say the majority of them, they like the ones that have some kind of um, storyline where they're tackling an issue like bullying, for example. I feel like we like to tie up our stories really neatly for kids and I think why I like this is there is no neat happy ending in Blubber. And in school, there always isn't, right? Not everybody tells your, their parents they're being picked on. I know I stopped telling my parents because at some point it's like, what are they going to do? Yeah. Because yeah. then they tell the teacher and then they talk to the parents and then it like, you're so you're a narc now. It makes it so much worse. It really or did in, when we were kids. In my kids. experience. I, well, yeah. yeah, when we I were kids. I would never tell kids not to tell oh, their parents Oh, no, today. I wouldn't either. 
But when we were kids, it was a very different, it was like, well, you need to resolve this at some point. Like you got to start sticking up for yourself is what, you know, adults would say to us. And it's like, cool. Thanks for those like coping tools. Nowadays, we're way more aware of those situations. And I feel like we try and give kids different tools and, and that. So, but I, I was again, kind of chubby when I read this book and I got picked on a lot and even by my siblings. And so I really identified with that character um, and I definitely de- bullied people that were, <laughs> I bullied my cousin. So I turned around and I was bullied and then I turned around and I did the exact same thing to oh, somebody same else. here. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I was bullied for my weight by my sibling. Well, yeah. not my sibling, not my sister, my brother, mm-hmm. and then people at school. And I absolutely bullied kids for other things yeah. during that mm-hmm. time because I was so unhappy with myself. Yeah, it's like you turn yeah. around and it's like you're miserable, but the only way you cope with it, instead of being like, okay, how can I just move on from this? You turn around and just repeat that behavior, which is just awful. Yeah, it's, that's why I always say you but, couldn't pay me to go back to that time. <laughs> I was saying to, I think, was I saying it to you yesterday? You know, when people are like, oh, I would go back and do this for a day. I'm like, I would go back and be eight for a day if I was at my parents' house all day and I could play in the woods again. Mm-hmm. Run around like Forrest Gump. I was fast. Got to say, 43 is where mm-hmm. it's at for me. I'm pretty good. I'm yeah. I'm good with where I'm at right now. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I woke up the other day and I slept funny. It's like those memes on Instagram where it's like, you know, when you're a kid, you can do all this crazy stuff and you wake up and you're fine. And it's like in your 40s, you wake up because you slept wrong and you're like, oh, my God, my life is ending. <laughs> I can't move my neck ever again. Oh, my gosh. For real. But... Uh, so you both read Blubber? Did you like Blubber? When I read, read it when I was a kid. I didn't reread it. I read it when I was a kid. Um, I don't know if I remembered. I, I don't really remember if I liked it or not. I mean, I probably related to it at the time, which might have made me not like it. I, w- <laughs> you know, I avoided it like the plague. Just having that title to think of anyone seeing me read it or mm-hmm. check it out or yeah. even talk about it would have been so deeply shameful for me that I. That's kind of the. The tricky thing with books like this that are about bodies, especially when you call it something like that, it's mm-hmm. like you might be missing your your target demographic because they don't. There's so much shame attached to that term. Mm-hmm. It's like I don't. I would. I avoided it. I thought it was interesting when I was um, when I was an elementary, middle school librarian. I was reading a book that I really liked when I was a kid to mm-hmm. so one of the um, classes. And I didn't realize that there was like some serious like fat phobic stuff. And, you know, because you don't remember that necessarily. Mm -hmm. And the kids in the class, they like raise their hand. They're like, Miss Turk, this is kind of mean. Yeah. And Uh, I was like, you know what? It is. We're not going to read this. And we we stopped reading it and I I picked something else. But I thought, oh, thank goodness. Thank goodness that like they recognize that now. It it just feels like things have changed so much. Definitely. Since when we were kids. Um, So you read Margaret, too. Did you read another one as well, I Karen? Did. I did. Did you read another one too? Uh, yeah, I read. Oh, you said the one from the boy's point of view. I'm sorry. Yeah. I don't think I ever read that one. It's wild. So yeah. he's, there's some class issue stuff in there, which I thought was really interesting. He moves, um, <laughs> he lives in the city mm-hmm. in New Jersey, and then his dad invents something where he gets a bunch of money. Um, there's a dead brother who who went to Vietnam and never came back, oh, older okay. brother. Um, but anyway, his dad makes a bunch of money with this, with this invention and then they move to a wealthy neighborhood and it sort of, it sort of, um, illustrates how wealth changes people. And from this kid's perspective, he's seeing his mom change pretty significantly. She's really trying to fit in with Mm -hmm. all the other wealthy neighbors in this really interesting way. 
um, he's sort of creeped out by a lot of like the wealthy kids. They're so different from the kids he knew back in the city. Um, there are things like how, you know, how do you get around in the suburbs in the city? We used bikes or, you know, whatever. So there's this interesting, like different, it's class. It's also city versus suburban. And then (laughs) he has a crush on his friend across the street, older sister, Lisa, I think her name is. And he watches her with his binoculars. He asks for binoculars for birding purposes. Oh, what a creep. And he watches her in her window. And there's a lot of, like, boy body stuff that he has to explore. And there's no, no, and this is, (laughs) like, I like that there's a lack of moralizing in Margaret and and Blubber. But in this one, it would have been nice for the book maybe to take a stand against this practice. But it doesn't. Like, it ends Mm -hmm. with... He goes to his therapist and he tells his therapist oh, about his this practice mm-hmm. and his therapist doesn't tell him to stop. And they but just, don't you feel like that's kind of of its time because it's the totally, 70s? Totally. And that kind of is a segue into, and they talk about this a little bit in the documentary. Um, I forget who it is that says it, but they were like, Judy Bloom didn't write her books to be um, timeless she wrote them like of their time. Yes. That's why like, you know, they mentioned rotary phones and they, some of that stuff, it's like that totally is not okay nowadays in between relationships in between like what people are doing. But going back to that quote, they're like, she didn't write her stuff to be timeless, but because she wrote it of its time and about things that are um, important to people still, that's kind of what made them timeless, right? Yeah, it was and Jason so, Reynolds who said that. That's what I thought in it my head. Really I was like, good. I'm pretty sure it was Jason Reynolds. And I'm so glad they included a guy in the yeah. documentary because there's so many women that they interview. So I was so glad that some men were in there too. Yeah. Um, but I have similar experience. So I'm, I started Tiger Eyes, which I forgot my copy here last night. So I didn't finish. I have 50 pages left. And I started Wifey, which um, Tiger Eyes technically... They published it and they put it in young adult, which she did not like. She wanted it to be a kid's book, but kind of like what we've talked about on the show nowadays, we kind of put books in the collections for children and teen based on the age. So the character in this is 14. So young adult is where we would kind of put it nowadays, even though she says in the documentary, she would have, she wrote this for kids. And then wifey is about an unhappy wife. I'm guessing, I don't know if they ever get the time period, but it came out in 1970. So I'm guessing an unhappy wife in the late sixties. And there's definitely stuff where you're like, Oh my God, I would not have survived as a housewife in the sixties and early seventies. Some of the shenanigans that again, make it feel really dated. Um, But yeah, but still make it timeless because I was telling Karen and Olivia before we started taping I was reading this last night and there's like married people complaints we're just like your spouse is driving you crazy for doing something it's like you know I'm like heavy sign as I'm reading this and rolling my eyes because you all have those things with your with your partner that you're just like oh my god my husband does the same thing it drives me freaking nuts that is so timeless but (laughs) the book itself definitely feels like from 1970. That's a really good observation that timely timeless thing I forgot he said that Mm -hmm. but yeah if you if you make it clear from that out, it's like I'm reflecting this particular period, this mm-hmm. moment I'm writing in. That's valuable. It actually kind of drives me crazy to think that future books are going to pretend like the things we went through never happened. Mm-hmm. Like, oh, you know, write some, if you wrote some things in the early 2000s and didn't acknowledge like how rough body culture stuff was or body positivity and the culture around 
body image Mm -hmm. was during that time, that would drive me nuts if there was like an erasure of that, like some sort of historical fiction. But uh, everybody is very confident. (laughs) Crazy. (laughs) It's like, that's not how it was. I think a lot of cozy mysteries just because that's kind of my jam right now. Mm -hmm. And some of them are from like the early 2000s. And when I read them, I was like, oh, yeah, there was no self-awareness about fat phobia and maybe how you choose to describe people. And yeah, yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's, (sighs) it really takes me out of a story when I'm reading something like that. I, I guess it was just run of the mill when I was younger and I guess. You know, I forget how bad the early 2000s were. <laughs> I know. It seems like it was not that long ago, but it, it was very it different. feels very long ago in some some days. It's yeah. like, oof. What else did you read? What else do you want to talk about Judy Bloom-wise? All of her books don't have resolutions at all, and it's, mm. they just kind of end, and you're like, okay. Like, she tackles these big issues, but it doesn't seem like any of them have a don't resolution. Don't tell me how Tiger Eyes ends, but I'm sure it doesn't. Well, what do you I make read- of that, then? I haven't read um, Life. Tiger Eyes. Life doesn't have resolution sometimes, and I think we need to be okay with that. I miss that. I so miss I, that about kids' books. Like like I said, I feel like a lot of them get tied up pretty neatly these days. So I don't know if this quote has been correctly or incorrectly applied to Robert Cormier, but mm-hmm. there was that whole oh, thing war. where he supposedly said, yeah, kids don't necessarily deserve a happy ending. Mm, no. Like in their books. And, and I... I, 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 I have been trying to find out if he actually said that because I was like, oh, that's rough. What but do you if you read deserve. The Chocolate War, yeah. not deserve, but just like you're yeah. not necessarily entitled to yeah. it just with all your books. Yeah. I think he wants that to give them a Ooh. dose of reality. Although, man, The Chocolate War, it's like I think the reason I had such a hard time with that book other than the fact that, you know. It hits a little close to home with the private school fundraising mm-hmm. type of stuff and the class issues. Mm-hmm. It's that the ending is so hopeless. Mm, oh yeah. my gosh! I read that in grad school and I was like, "Woof." Oh, yeah, it's it's tough, and that's one that gets uh, on banned book lists a lot too. Mm-hmm. And I I don't know if it's just because of the hopelessness or because some of the adults are bad people in the oh, book, a hundred percent, and that it has. Um, you know, it, it shows maybe organized religion in not a great light. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's definitely of that time as well. What are they? Don't Question they call everything. that the golden age of young adult books? The yes, 1970s? that came out in yes. So do you? So what do you think about that? About him saying kids aren't entitled to the happy ending. For me, as as a reader, as an adult, I find it unsettling. Yeah. <laughs> so I think as a kid, I would find it much more unsettling but for whatever reason i feel like as a kid i probably could deal with it better do you think the judy bloom endings are unsettling i didn't i guess how i had thought of it was not necessarily that it was unsettling just that the story's not real like you're not getting the typical plot points that you do in Mm -hmm. a young adult book Mm -hmm. like the complexity comes from the fact that it's dealing with puberty and that's just like a complex issue. Yeah. But the beauty of the book is the simplicity of it, that when you read it, you're like, okay, this is what this girl's going through. She's so sincere. Mm -hmm. She's such a trustworthy protagonist. And then the book just kind of ends. And yes, there's a layer of, um, you know, her religious issues, but as a kid, Again, like reading that really young, I probably glossed over a lot of that. Mm. To me, that resonated more with me as an adult and then thinking back to that time. So it's really strange. I'm like, is she writing these books sort of 
for kids and for adults? I, I don't know. I mean, this seems like this would actually be a good book for parents and kids to read together. Totally. Yeah. I feel like when kids kind of read some of the stuff that their parents might not want them to, I'm talking about myself specifically here, um, I think it's because you have questions that are going unanswered. So for me, Catholic education for sex ed was more confusing to me than not because they didn't really tell us anything. They did the like, here are your internal organs, which to me, I remember thinking like, oh my God, that looks like a moose, right? Like the ovaries and everything. I was like, it looks like a moose in my head. Sounds like your liver? No, sorry. (laughs) Internal female organs. Um, So, you know, and it was so cheesy. And then my mom was very... um, super Catholic and her mother passed away when she was like 13, just 13. So I don't think she had that experience of what to do when she was a teenager, as far as like what her mom would have talked to her about. So my mom just didn't tell us anything. So my thing going into middle school was I was very curious. So I would be at the bookstore looking at the, you know, anatomy books and everything, trying to like figure out how things work. And then my best friend's parents let her read Michael Creighton and John Grisham when we were in sixth and seventh grade. So she started to get like her mom would check them out. This is back before we had the catalog system we have today in my small town library in Fenton. Um, they had literally a, a notepad and you would see all the people's names written on in hand. And when that person returned the book, they'd cross their name off and call the next person. And so when my best friend's mom would get the newest John Grisham, she would read it. She'd give it to my best friend. Then she'd give it to me. We had three weeks for all of us to go through it. And, you know, there's like sex scenes and things on there. And I was fascinated and so curious because no one was telling me about these things. But I still didn't understand it. It's like I still didn't have a good functioning understanding of how things were actually working. Was that the first sex scene you ever read was in John Grisham? Yes. And I was 12. Mine was Nicholas Sparks. I think I was probably in middle school. Oh, God. Mine was The Season of Passage. It was a Christopher Pike book for adults. And it was a horror novel. Oh, no. (laughs) Oh, man. I got to tell you, that messed me up for a while. I was in, like, eighth grade, and I was like, oh, yikes. I think mine was, like, The Firm, maybe, which... Oh, we definitely had books in high school that we would pass around among ourselves. Oh, And have conversations I mean you know that's the thing you can you can ignore it and not talk to your kids mm-hmm. about it you can send them to a they're school gonna, that doesn't address they're it they're still gonna find a way to find out about they're gonna it. find out and you know what they might find out the wrong stuff right yeah in the because, wrong ways yeah and that's yeah. that's the unfortunate part about it so I am mm-hmm. thankful for authors like Judy Bloom that made some of the stuff a little more accessible yeah mm-hmm. you know I mean like the section where the girl raises her hand at, during the period documentary and she's like, what about Tampax? <laughs> the teacher's probably like, ah, uh, ah, uh, And uh. the lady's like, we don't talk about internal protection until you're older or something like that. Which? Oh, it cracked me up. But yeah, again, even when I was younger, tampons were a big deal and it doesn't yeah. make any sense. It's just an, it's just a different Yes. Way of protecting yourself, what you know. What are people so afraid of? Like, what are they so afraid what <sighs> girls are going to learn? Like, wouldn't you want them to be prepared instead of being completely clueless? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I don't, my mom was pretty good. I mean, she was always like, if you have questions, you can always ask me. No question is embarrassing. You can ask me <sighs> any question. But it, I can't. Jealous. 
I don't know that I would. Uh, yeah, she was great. She was really great about that. I don't know that I ever took her up on it. Like, I'm sure I wasn't like. It's nice that questions. the door is open, though. Yes, it yeah. was very important to her. Sorry, mom. Well, that. just to bookend it, when you get to a certain age, too, no one will talk about the beginning of menopause. Thank so you. So yeah. there's Ooh. that. We, yes, everyone's is, just like, oh, I'm hot all the time. I'm like, can you talk about the other things, please? I want to know yeah, what. Can you what talk else about going what age? Because um, talking to my friends and realizing that some of us without children are getting the symptoms earlier than those with the children and mm-hmm. apparently that's a thing it's like can can I know a little bit about my body please right. yeah. <laughs> yeah please yeah, when it, where is that like fifth grade situation for adult women where we have a school nurse come and talk to us in our 40s and be like okay this is the gun you're facing down friends <laughs> some major stuff's coming towards you it could happen this year or it can happen when you're 70 just kidding I don't think you're that old That'd be awful. But there's, I mean, obviously we have books on menopause at the library. Shout out to the menopause section. But (laughs) (laughs) shout out to the 600s. But it would just be nice if it was more part of regular conversation. And that sometimes it does show up much earlier than you're expecting. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I guess women's bodies will just forever be a mystery. Oh, man. I I hope hope not. not. (laughs) Going back to what you were saying earlier about banned books and and this being... um, this documentary, I'm sure, was not not accidentally put out at the same time as Are You There, God? It's Me, Margaret. I'm sure they did it together to kind of bolster ratings and people going out to see it and things. And, and Judy Bloom's getting older. I think she's like 80-something. But it's interesting to me as all this stuff is happening that you kind of have these movies coming out that's sort of hopefully getting the conversation happening again. Did you guys see, what was it, Red Panda? Turning Red. What was the new Disney Pixar one? Uh, you've talked about it before, but I don't remember. So I didn't realize it when it came out. Apparently, it's about the girl getting her period. Oh, okay. And my best friend watched it with her two daughters, but they're both in, like, young elementary school. And she's like, obviously, they didn't catch any of it, but she's like, oh, my God. I was like, oh, I'm gonna, am I going to have to talk to them about, like, the older ones in fourth grade? third grade, third grade. And she thought they were going to have all these questions and be like, what was that? What was that? And she's like, they didn't pick up on it at all. But it's interesting to me. I, I was asking her, I said, do you feel like they're trying to hide the message? Because I saw the trailers and I had no idea that's what it was about. Oh, wow. I didn't and know it's that was like, about until I read the reviews. On yeah. It. And it's like, are we still trying to hide the message so that boys will go see those movies too? Like why were the, why were, why was, did it feel so sneaky that Mm, you know yeah, what yeah. I mean? Versus like the Margaret ads. I saw one on Instagram before I even knew it was coming out. And I was like, holy crap, this is awesome. Like, you know, where she's in the bathroom and it's like, <gasps> anyway, I don't know. I was just thinking, I keep going back and forth in my head about how different those trailers were and how one was very much, this is about periods. And the other one, which is, I was just, I thought it was a girl that had magical powers and turned into a panda. I was, so like, I. I was like, right on, go Pixar, Disney, whoever created that, but. <laughs> Anyway. Yeah, it's funny that it's still such a, like a hush hush topic. To Can we please make boys sit in on that? Yeah, why can't they know about it? That's so weird. That I mean, I can understand why they separated us then because we would have been embarrassed to ask questions maybe sure. in front of the boys. But maybe by ninth grade, have some sex ed stuff together where it's like, hey, friends, we're going to talk about periods too because we're all grown ups and chill out. Yeah, and it's it's good to know. It's good to know. <sighs> so, how brutal the things we have to tell kids. Like, I always thought it was weird. That we have to be like, all the bones in your mouth are going to fall out and the new ones are going to grow through your gums. I'm glad they don't tell children that. They're That's just essentially like, what Your happened. teeth are going to come out. It won't be painful. And the tooth fairy will leave you some quarters. It's, like, it's just rough. Bodies are wild. 
They really are. They're and they so don't weird. stop being wild. No. Wow, this went really off the rails today, yeah. didn't it? It really did. <laughs> it's it's okay. For it our, is. Our, I loved how she, she talks in the documentary, too. About how her family was all real hush-hush about stuff for yes. reserve. They never talked about it. And it's such a relief when you're just like, guess what? I'm just going to start talking about Can, stuff. I thought it was really interesting real quick. Um, I know we're kind of running out of time. Just um, saying that in the documentary, Judy Bloom acknowledging that. And then when she wrote When Wifey Came Out, which is, it has some sexual situations in it. It's about, you know, a married couple that, you know, things are kind of on the rocks, whatever. Um, when that came out and people were like all up in arms because it was like, I think it was her first adult novel and people were like, oh my God, she writes for kids. And then she writes this smut because it was the seventies and like, she was a housewife. So you shouldn't be writing these really sexual things. Her mom was totally fine with it. She said she was her typist. Yeah. She was just typing up all her books and her mom. She's, you know, I think the person asks her or maybe it was another interview I read, like, you know, was your mom like super upset when this came out and all the, all the guff you were getting about this. And she's like, no, my mom was totally fine with the book. And I was like, everybody needs that cheerleader yeah that was pretty right on but okay so any last things we want to say about judy bloom do do you have any read-alikes you want to mention so normally i use novelist i'm actually just going to use a barnes and nobles list that i really liked and um the author rachel it says by rachel sarah she um I like how she ended it. She said, here's my best stab at Judy Bloom read-alikes if you're looking for honest, real, contemporary stories with heart and humor and geared for ages 8 to 12. Have a look. So she said, The Exact Location of Home by Kate Messner. Patina, which is by Jason Reynolds. It's the second book in the um, Defenders Track Team series. Out of My Mind by Sharon Draper. That was a really good book. Fish in a Tree by Linda Malali Hunt. I know they um, have the school kids read that one a lot. That one, we, we pass out a lot at the library. And The Girl in the Well is Me by Karen Rivers. So cool. some also, fun read from Barnes & Nobles today. Just a shout out Phyllis Reynolds Naylor again. Yes. Because we loved her witch book so much. Um, the Alice series, I think. Oh, totally. About growing up. and That book still haunts me. I'm, I'm so sorry. I meant no, you read that, No, I told you. I, I keep going back and forth about <laughs> if I want to start that series. Because I'll be doing nothing. And then all of a sudden I think about that conversation we had and I'm like oh shudder <laughs> yeah, just the creepy pictures one. in that book too that was yeah. a fun one yeah and then um I wanted to say thank you Manda for recommending on a previous podcast episode Good Talk by Mira Jacob oh did you read it I just finished it this ah, morning wonderful. and it's not quite a read-alike um but it is a really good it's for adults it's a graphic novel and it's a really good illustration of a mother having difficult conversations with her kids, yes, with her son. Oh, interesting. It's so good, and it's it's set in the year two thousand to twenty sixteen, and the author is an Indian American woman, and she uh, is married to a Jewish man, and she's talking to her kid. Her kid, of course, has like all of these questions about nine um, eleven and. Trump and you know all of the stuff that's going on and she's trying to explain sort of like race relations mm -hmm. in America to her kid and struggling with that because of course that's not very it's hard to you know explain it to yourself let alone a kid mm -hmm. loved it great recommendation thank you thank that. you I'm glad you enjoyed it thank you Karen for being here thanks, hey, thanks for having this me. was a really fun conversation fun. if you haven't read Judy Bloom books try them we didn't even get to talk about her non-sexy adult books 
in an unlikely event, which is based on true story about these plane crashes in New York in the 70s. Fascinating. It's fiction because it's fictionalized. Highly recommend that for adults as well. But read the rest of her books because they're great. You're not going to be sad about it. She's a Renaissance woman. She, she reads really all kinds is. of stuff. And watch the documentary too. That's good. Amazon Prime Friends. It is worth it. I cried in the first five minutes. I felt like cried, cried. cried I was cried, like cried, cried, eight cried. all over again. Thanks, yeah. Judy Bloom. I love you. Thanks, Judy. Thank you for listening to The Books We Loved, a podcast through the Troy Public Library. You can find more information about the books and library services we mentioned in the show on our website at troypl.org podcast. If you would like to suggest a topic for future discussion, please email us at podcast at troypl.org. Thank you for listening and happy reading.